Welcome to this special series of Moneyball Medicine, focused on AI, machine learning, and analytics applied to drug discovery and development. This special series was recorded as part of the AI Applications Summit produced by Corey Lane Partners. I'm your host, Harry Glorikian. In this series, I will interview different speakers from the event, and we will hear their experiences. We will dive into the challenges and opportunities they're facing and their predictions for the years to come. Welcome to Moneyball Medicine. My next guest likes to refer to AI as augmented intelligence, more than artificial intelligence. The goal of combining the system of human plus machine intelligence to help speed up drug discovery, cut R&D costs, and decrease failure rates in clinical trials, all of which can eventually lead to better, more precise medicines. Ginny Dishpande has spent several decades turning cutting-edge life sciences technologies into products for patient benefit. She is the co-founder and CEO of Numedi, a data-driven drug discovery company focused on using big data and artificial intelligence technology to rapidly innovate the drug discovery process. As CEO, she has structured partnerships with large pharma companies and raised the company's initial rounds of funding. Prior to Numedi, she has helped companies identify optimal markets and whole product solutions for their groundbreaking technologies. She has also led innovation within the world's leading pediatric hospital, focusing on the creation of new devices for the tiniest of patients. She has also helped commercialize early-stage technologies in research tools, diagnostics, and therapeutics, and has closed licensing deals worth several million. Ginny has co-authored numerous papers, given numerous talks, and is the recipient of several awards. She has received her PhD in biological sciences from Purdue University and did postdoctoral work at Harvard Medical School. She graduated at the top of her MSc class from University of Pune, India. Ginny, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Great to have you on the show. Let's start off. Um, tell, tell the listeners, tell us about a little bit about Numedi and what you're trying to accomplish and where, where is it in its life cycle? Absolutely. Um, so Numedi has been one of the pioneers in the AI for drug discovery space. Um, and what we're really focused on is now leveraging our platform, which consists of a lot of proprietary single cell sequencing data, um, along with other capabilities and other data sources um, to identify new therapeutics for diseases like fibrosis. Um, specifically, we're focused on a disease called idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. It's a, a really bad condition that impacts the lungs, makes it really hard for patients to breathe, and it has a mortality rate that's higher than some of the cancers combined. So really, really bad disease um, for which there's a need for new therapeutics. And so Numedi is focused on leveraging its platform technology to develop new therapeutics in this space. Um, we have previously worked with a number of pharmaceutical companies and helped them with their discovery efforts. Um, so felt that it was the right time for us to start taking these molecules further ourselves. So when you say platform, right, I could think of a you know, lab-based platform. I could think of an IT-based platform. I could think of... So when you say platform and we're thinking data analytics, data um, analysis for the most part, is how do you... When you're pitching it a partnership or whatever, how do you position that to your partner? And, and what is the secret sauce without, of course, 
you know, divulging confidential information. What is it about Numedi that makes it special? So when I refer to a platform, I'm really talking about our data sciences platform. So obviously there's various types of data that we collect, uh, some from the public domain, some that's proprietary and generated either by Numedi or its partners and collaborators. Um, so data is sort of one component of the platform. And then there's the algorithms, the AI algorithms that we utilize um, to, for target discovery, for identifying compounds um, that are relevant for a given disease of interest. So it's really these two components that, that, are, that form the basis of our data sciences platform. So that's essentially what we leverage. And um, the secret sauce here really is that by leveraging AI and data such as single cell sequencing data, which now enables us to get very granular and understand which cell types are contributing to a particular disease process, and therefore what targets are in those cells that one should then uh, modulate for therapeutic benefit, we can really get very precise with the cell types and the targets that we want to impact with our platform. And that's essentially what the, what the technology enables us to do. Um, the AI component of it really helps us look at targets that are not obvious uh, to the human eye. This is not something that we would uh, look at and say, oh, yeah, I know this target. So that's the sort of secret sauce, if you will, of what the technology enables us to do. It enables us to find network-level connections between um, diseases of interest and, and targets that are relevant for that particular disease. So think of uh, a network, if you will, that's coming into play in a particular disease. Um, we can start to look at all the nodes that are coming into play in that, in that network and then start to look at which of those nodes should be manipulated or modulated for us to actually benefit that particular disease. Well, so you can actually like start to look at different cell types at different states and be able to create profiles of them Absolutely. You can start to look at individual cells. So for instance, in the case of IPF, one could look at macrophages that are coming into play. One can look at epithelial cells. You can start to really distinguish between these cell types. Previously, when we've looked at data that's been collected and that's been in the public domain, it was usually what was considered bulk tissue data. That means somebody took a biopsy, and in that biopsy, you had a mixture of different cell right. types, right. and then you profiled that using a high-throughput biology technology like microarrays. And so you looked at all the changes that were happening at the transcriptomic level uh, across these. But you didn't know whether it was macrophages that were contributing to the signal predominantly or there were epithelial cells. Right. Now, our co-founder, Atul Butte, has come up with ways to deconvolute signal from bulk tissue, but it's still challenging to get very granular and really identify precisely what's contributing to signal and what targets to look for in those cell types. And so single cell sequencing you know, really enables easier. us yeah. to absolutely get into that level of granularity now and then confirm your findings. So you find an interesting target, you can go, go back and test it right. and confirm that it is that target in those fibroblasts that is, that's coming into play and, and important for a disease process. So let's just take one step back here. I know you and I have talked about uh, you know, this whole concept of AI and et cetera, right? Um, the nomenclature drives me crazy sometimes. <laughs> uh, but where do you think we are and how would you sort of deconvolute the space to a certain degree? That's a great question. And, you know, I get asked this often. Um, so two things that I will, I will highlight. One is that AI, uh, people think of AI as artificial intelligence, and the reality is the state of the art today is, it's, it's, I would consider it to be 
augmented intelligence. Yes. It yes. really isn't at the point where it's automatable and one can make sense of what's coming out of, of a technology and just be able to run with that as is. Uh, it's nowhere close to that. We still need a lot of what I consider human intelligence to be coupled with this technology to really make sense of it. So you need human intelligence at the front end to determine what are the questions you want to ask and therefore what data should get fed into the system. And then we also need human intelligence to evaluate all the targets that come out of a discovery platform to say, do these make sense? Have I seen these targets before? Are they biologically relevant? Therefore, when I find something novel that I haven't seen before, I can start believing in that because you have a level of confidence there. Right. The other is that this field, when you know, since, since Numedi got, got founded and, and launched, has now evolved in a very interesting way. So if you think about drug discovery and development, obviously it's a multi-step process. And the drug development aspect of it, which is testing the drugs in patients, um, has an entire sort of uh, spectrum of companies that are working in speeding up the clinical trials process, right. uh, improving patient stratification, all of those pieces that are what I would consider downstream of drug discovery. If one were to look at drug discovery itself, you, we're starting to see sort of an emergence of companies in what I would consider three major categories. One is companies that are focused on target discovery. Numedi is very much in that category. And then there are companies that are focused on leveraging AI for speeding up the search of chemical matter that is relevant against a given target. So let's say we come up with a new target. We need to go through high-throughput screening to find uh, the right compounds. Right. And AI companies are now focused, certainly AI companies are now focused on speeding up that process of finding the right chemical that will modulate that, that target of interest. So going from you know, um, target to hit to lead, that right. hit to lead piece is where these companies are coming in and speeding up the process. Uh, and, and enabling us to come up with with compounds uh, in a much faster process than, than we've previously been able to do. And then the third category is what I would consider companies taking orthogonal approaches to drug discovery. So phenotypic screening, high-throughput phenotypic screening, for example, is, is one sort of category where um, companies such as Recursion Pharma mm -hmm. are taking advantage of um, taking cell cell types of interest and applying compounds, and then applying AI to the images from those from those um, screens to be able to speed up the discovery of, of relevant uh, molecules. So you th you have three distinct categories of companies that are all focused in the AI for drug discovery realm, if you will, um, and they're they're not necessarily competitive with each other. They're quite complementary in some regards. If you look at you know, yep. what Numedi does and what a company that's focused on the chemistry aspect of it does, we would be very complementary to each other. So I think we're starting to see this specialization, if you will, within the sector where companies are playing to their strengths. Yeah, and I, I actually, I've, I've, you know, I've, I say sometimes, I think if a big pharma sort of thought this through, they might actually put these links of the chain together and completely be able to rethink the drug discovery slash development process and make it hopefully shorter and theoretically less expensive. I'm waiting to see <laughs> the fruits of all that labor, but but Absolutely. at least what I'm seeing right now looks like we're headed in that direction. I, I would like to think so. I think, you know, it's, it's one where... Um, the sense I get is pharma's in this wait and watch period. They are embracing AI technologies. It's a little bit uh, of a slower adoption curve, if you will, because uh, they have some skepticism, rightfully so, 
Um, I think once we have a few success stories coming out of this field where you see the impact in the clinic, where I think that's where we really need to have uh, the ability to demonstrate that these sorts of technologies are going to have a meaningful impact, uh, we'll start to see broader adoption of, of these sorts of um, technologies and capabilities. And, and certain pharma companies are doing a good job of embracing AI and, and incorporating it into their into their workflows. But see, I'm, that's where I'm, I get skeptical, right? Because I talk to a couple of people that get it, right? But then there's this 10,000 or 20,000 person organization, and there's not 20,000 people that understand what's going on, right? It's five, eight, 10. And so I always feel like there is a Kodak moment coming where, you know, if, if you were able to find, you know, prove your target discovery engine, do you really need the rest of, you know, the value goes through the roof in a sense if you think about it, right? So I think there's a timing of when they move into it. The other part of it is, is I've noticed it's not just pharma that's interested in this, these engines, but tech is also starting to show an interest saying, I'm interested in the data analytics engine part of it. Not the wet chemistry and stuff like that, but I'd like to provide it as a service. So I'm, I'm looking at this and saying, I feel like the, the, the landscape is changing. Um, you and I talked about Amazon at one time and how they're thinking about, you think they'll eventually be able, you know, wanna develop drugs. Absolutely. I think, you know, um, two things here, right? One is that the value proposition in the biopharma industry still is a clinically active molecule. Mm -hmm. So once you've proven that your drug works and it works better than anything else that's out there, um, that's where you're going to have the aha moment. We are not there yet. There's a number of drugs that are in, in clinical trials right. right now. Hopefully we'll see you know, many more coming into, into the clinical uh, pipeline. But we're not at that point yet where we have enough number of molecules that have, gone, that have been discovered using AI technologies that have gone through clinical testing and therefore shown that you are improving the probability of success. And by the way, just as an aside, I'm not convinced that AI has, at this point in time is necessarily going to significantly save time or cost. I think it yeah. really boils down to a value proposition of improving the probability that your drug is going to be more effective. And that's sort of where I think there's going to be a tremendous value. Um, so I think that the field is still early enough that we don't have a significantly high enough number to be able to come up with any sort of stats to say, you know, AI technologies are better than the tried and tested uh, historical approaches that have been utilized to come up with with new new targets and therefore new molecules. Um, to your second point about tech companies getting into the space, I, I again get back to my earlier point. I think the value is in the drug candidates themselves. So while there is a need for companies to provide services, and there's always historically been a need for companies to provide services to the pharma to the biopharma um, industry. I think the value proposition still remains in the drug candidates themselves. Yes. And if you look at the drug discovery development process, and particularly in companies such as ours that utilize a data sciences approach, we do take advantage of the commoditization, if you will, of cloud computing. So right. Amazon's already at one end of the spectrum um, through their acquisition of PillPack. They're, they're going to be at the other end of the drug discovery development process, which is 
providing the medication to right. the patients. My my guess here is that somewhere along the way, companies like Amazon are going to want to get in the middle of the of the value chain because they can probably add something to the process and probably help contribute in, in a significant way. Um, so I think, you know, 10, 15 years from now, can Amazon be a major player in this space? Depends on what their, their core focus and interest is. But you could imagine companies that are providing, you know, cloud computing and actually are in close contact with the patients through delivery technologies like PillPack could actually come in and, and contribute even more to this, to this process. Yeah, if you think about the, in the last five years, how much computing power has become available at the flip of a switch or a push of a button. I mean, it's uh, it's unbelievable. And I don't see it slowing down at all. Absolutely. And I think it's just, you know, it's going to get better and better with time. So I certainly think that the costs are going to come down. So our compute costs are going to be significantly lower, right. which is going to enable us to do a lot more than we've previously been able to do. Um, with data. And so just the sheer volume of data and what we want to do with it is now, uh, particularly in biological sciences, where it's still not at the scale of like, you know, data from Facebook, for instance. No, of course. It's still smaller in terms of scale if you you look at just the sheer volume of data. But the ability to utilize um, AI analytics now on top of that kind of data is certainly very feasible through, um, you know, the availability of, of cheap, you know, cost-effective cloud computing. Well, and now and now more and more more and more groups are actually generating data that's useful and the combination of different augmented intelligence techniques coming together I'm seeing sort of that next curve being created of opportunity. I would say the next I'm looking at the next 5 years and going you know, I feel like every few months I'm going to read some new very interesting story, which is all by itself, probably not fantastic, but in a string of stories and and events that it will create this very interesting dynamic that's happening in the market. I, I actually would take it even further and say, you know, if one were to let our imaginations run wild, what would the next Genentech look like? I think it will be a data sciences company. Yeah. Because of the availability of data, the uh, ability to generate more data, proprietary data, the ability to go deep into uh, certain areas, the ability to profile biology at unprecedented scales, um, the reduction in cost to some extent by being able to take advantage of all this data and and come up with a number of targets that can then be quickly validated. And as you you mentioned earlier in in our discussion, if you can string those those pieces together and have a complete uh, end-to-end AI-enabled, data sciences-enabled process, I think you could see how this would be very scalable and very feasible in terms of being able to be the next generation, you know, Genentech. I wonder if there'll be a big pharma that would actually have that visionary capability to bring the right pieces together. I'm not exactly holding my breath. (laughs) And I understand where they're coming from, right? If you're generating so much revenue, you're sort of wait and see attitude and I'll just, but again, it always reminds me of Kodak. Yes, I think that, you know, in some regards, I think the uh, disruption, if you will, is going to happen from the biotech sector. I, I don't think that this is going to be coming from within pharma. I think uh, part of it, as you rightly pointed out, is they're under a different sort of pressure and they're under much more immediate term um, objectives that they have to, to accomplish. Whereas 
the biotech industry has been much more disruptive. I mean, all the data points to innovation happening outside of pharma, 70% of their pipeline is actually um, coming from the outside if you look at what's, you know, all the way up to phase three. So very clear that they have embraced innovation from the outside. So I think the stitching together of these pieces and and the next sort of generation data sciences-driven Genentech-like company is going to come from the outside. I think that'll probably... Um, be able to move a lot faster and be more nimble and, and, and show some early wins that, that uh, can be done in a different context than in a more um, structured environment that, that pharma has to deal with. So you're here, you know, you're in the Bay Area, right? I mean, these data scientists aren't falling off trees, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Especially with the, with the right combination of knowledge and capability. So, uh, you know, I and I, I ask almost everybody this question, is where, how do you find them? How do you train them? How do you bring them into the tent and, you know, sort of, you know, get them to that next level? Because you've got Facebook, Google, and everybody else down the street. But how do you guys at Numeta approach this very core asset that you need? You know, that's a great question and one that I think, you know, because we are so mission driven, it is about your work actually turning into therapeutics that could then benefit patients. That mission, that objective of their data sciences capabilities coming in to really help patients is very attractive to people. So we've been very fortunate to have data scientists on the team that have that mindset and the capabilities that are required. And our data scientists are actually cross-trained. So we have individuals who have either a PhD or an MD PhD that really can understand uh, both the biology side of things as well as the computational aspects of things. Uh, and that becomes really critical in this particular field because if you don't understand that, you know, someone who does um, who writes algorithms at, at, at Facebook isn't going to appreciate the nuances and the challenges of biological data. You really need people who understand the complexities of what they're dealing with and the nuances in this data. Um, the other is, you know, we looked at this holistically in terms of talent and recruiting talent. And one of the things we were very focused on early on was ensuring that we had a blended team that was not just data scientists, but also drug developers. Because one without the other is sort of incomplete. Right. And you really need people who have been there, done that in terms of drug discovery and development and understand all of the challenges in taking what's coming out of the technology and then turning it into a viable um, drug candidate that can then get into patients. Those processes are not trivial. So the technology is sort of step one, if you will, of this long process. Um, the components that are required to then test your drug in in vitro assays, so testing them in cell lines, testing them in animal models, those require a level of expertise and and, um, a depth of understanding of of disease biology and how far these models are relevant for advancing the molecule forward that you really need people who are trained and steeped in that discipline. And we're very fortunate to have people on our team who spent 15, 20 years at pharma doing a lot of this work. So they collaborate really closely with our data scientists, and that's what has enabled us to be successful. We have identified a novel you know, target for IPF that um, impacts three different uh, disease processes uh, at the same time. And being able to then test that, test compounds against that target in in vitro and in vivo assays 
has been possible because we have the right skill sets around the table that can look at this and go, here's sort of the models that we've got to test this in and here's sort of where the evidence is going to be helpful because you're using that to gate the the development of your of your asset. And so if those gating factors aren't applied correctly, the you could have the best technology in the world, but that will not result in a compound actually making it to the clinic. And so my view has always been that you want to have people who have expertise in in diverse domains all around the table interacting very closely. So, I mean, I always think is that, I always think that's either on-the-job training, right, that they've gotten somewhere and you're pulling them in, or we need to rethink how we educate these these people in, in a college setting or in university setting so that they have a data analytics understanding that gets incorporated into their biological sciences. So we're fortunate that there are a number of training programs that have been instituted all around the country now where you have training programs specifically focused on uh, biological data sciences that are focused on both the computational and the biology aspects of of things, and so there are training programs that have, you know, produced some really phenomenal graduate students uh, who've gone on to do really well and have either gone on to become faculty members or have um, taken up jobs in in industry. So we're fortunate to have people that are that are getting trained in these sorts of programs. But you're right in that you do need people who have uh, experience within the pharmaceutical industry. Right. Uh, and so we actually end up having people who might be, you know, out of a training program and not have a lot of industry expertise or experience that then get mentored by the people who do have the industry experience. Um, so it is a little bit of having to take, you know, really bright, really motivated individuals and then mentor them and nurture them and, and train them a little bit uh, in terms of understanding the discipline and the rigor that's required for drug development, which is very different from data sciences um, and, and the work being done in academia. They're, they're completely different in terms of the mindsets and the rigor that's that's utilized. But it's great when you have the right mix of people because they learn from each other. And it's that's what makes for, you know, a fun, productive, collaborative environment. So is being near, you know, say Stanford or or UCSF or any of these institutions helpful in that way of trying to identify these people that understand to some extent, yes, because there are, you know, seminars and other things and, and other venues where you can network with and, and, and recruit people like that. But we're also fortunate that we can recruit from uh, the global talent pool. We've got individuals who are uh, who've come to us from China, who've come to us from other countries. And, and you know, we take the best of, of people uh, no matter where they may be living. And, and because of our ability to uh, work with data sciences, they're not restricted or tied to a geographic region either. So it, it enables them to have the flexibility to work in different locations. So that's that's attractive for them and beneficial for us. Yeah, I guess, I mean, thinking about this, you know, if you want to talk about, to a certain degree, remote work, right? Mm -hmm. uh, on the data sciences side, you don't all have to be sitting around the same table necessarily. Although when you do, you, if you're going to do any testing, you've got to have a central location. But everything up to that point allows you to sort of have the best and the brightest from different locations. Absolutely. And so we have a core team that's here all the time and we tap into, you know, talent pools outside of our region as and when needed. So it enables us to be very capital efficient and yet get the best of the expertise that we need. Excellent. Well, this was great. I, uh, you know, enjoyed the session. I, I look forward to, uh, you know, our time at the conference together and, um, Hope we get to uh, interact more in the future. 
Wonderful. Thank you for having me on, on your podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And that's it for this special series of AI machine learning and analytics. If you enjoyed Moneyball Medicine, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is greatly appreciated. Hope you join us next time. Until then, farewell. <laughs>